for having us. My wife Amy is in the back, um, and we'll be around after the service too if you guys have other questions. But um, we're going to start with a little bit of mood music, actually. Um, this will come into play later with what I'm talking about, but we're going to listen to about a minute and a half here of a piano concerto. So if you guys just want to chill out and listen to this for a little bit. Thanks for bearing with me. If you ever need to, like, fill up your extra minutes in a talk, that's a good way to do it. Um, And just as a spoiler alert, I'm not going to come back and tell you later that that was actually a refugee playing that, because it's not. Um, So you can put that out of your mind. But we'll come back to it in a little bit. Um, So as Kevin said, my wife Amy and I started Global Neighborhood uh, eight years ago now this summer, which is crazy. Um, with the intent of providing long-term, relationally-based support to people who are coming to Spokane as refugees. And we're still pursuing that same goal today uh, by providing employment and education and empowerment to former refugees here in Spokane. So a refugee is someone who has been forced to flee their home country because of some type of persecution, whether that's ethnic or religious or political or whatever. (coughs) Excuse me, whatever. Um, They're forced to flee under threat of violence and they can't return. Um, Right now, actually, there are more refugees on the planet than ever in the history of the world. Over 60 million people right now are refugees, which I looked that up, and that means one out of every 122 people on the planet is a refugee right now, which is insane. Um, But about 500 of those people every year are resettled into Spokane as refugees. They come from all over the world and are here to rebuild their lives after all of the trauma that they've been through. So both in a global sense and in the very literal sense, these people are our neighbors, which leads to the Bible passage that I chose for today. It's kind of like the cliff notes of the entire Bible, uh, Jesus' summary of everything. He says in Mark 12, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second commandment is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Pretty basic, right? But also, you know, maybe takes a couple of lifetimes to actually figure out how to do that. Um, This verse is basically the theology of global neighborhood. It's what we're trying to live out every day. And the question, there's a lot of questions that have grown naturally out of this theology and out of this verse. And the biggest one, I think, that we struggle with is how can we do well at doing good? If we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, that then leads us to think, how would we want to be treated if the roles were reversed? This is where things get a little dicey for us because when you dig into the world of charities and nonprofits a little bit, uh, you find that things aren't always as they seem on the surface. So the questions that emerge from this are, do we really care about making real change as much as we care about having a feel-good experience? Is our charity about helping people, or is it really about boosting our ego? Did anyone ask these people if they even wanted this stuff or these services? Are we acting out of a sense of superiority? Are my actions creating autonomy in this person, or are they building dependency? How are my actions affecting the way that I view myself and others? So these are the questions that we struggle with all the time at Global Neighborhood, and really most of them revolve around loving our neighbor as ourself. What's my identity? How do I think of and love myself 
and also how do I think of and love my neighbor. Now, unfortunately, the American refugee dynamic uh, can be kind of a trap for most of us. As you might have picked up on this past weekend, Americans have a fairly high view of ourselves. Um, as a country, we generally view ourselves as the best, the smartest, the strongest. We're unapologetic, and we have maybe a frequently occurring Messiah complex. It's, and it's in our cultural DNA, right? We've always had this idea of American exceptionalism, exceptionalism like we're the city on the hill. Um, but when you combine that cultural attitude with now there's people from other countries coming to us for help, it makes us feel really good, right? It makes us feel like we hold all the keys and that we have all the answers. Now, most of these things aren't actually spoken, but when um, how they're often played out um, in charity work and nonprofits in America is that we throw money at problems without seeing where the money's actually going, or we provide volunteer hours without asking if we're creating issues of dependency. Uh, we create projects and policies without getting the input of the people that we're seeking to help. So over time, and this is all speaking out of experience of like me doing all of these things for the last eight years, um, over time, we've ended up discovering that we become either paternalistic or patronizing. It's like the same root word, right? So being paternalistic means that we treat people like we're their father and they're our children. Or patronizing, which means that we treat people like they're our servants. So again, having done both of these things myself really frequently, I think that they're two of the most common attitudes that we see. And I think that those attitudes are also totally opposed to the idea of loving our neighbor as ourself. Ernesto Ciroli, he is like, you gotta, if you are into TED Talks, look for this guy. He's an Italian aid worker and author. He has my favorite TED Talk. But he suggests that the best way to combat these attitudes of paternalism and being patronizing is, he says, if you want to help someone, shut up and listen. And in the world of aid and charity and nonprofits, listening isn't very sexy, right? It's slow. You can only really listen to a relatively small number of people. It's relational rather than statistical. By very nature, it's humble, admitting failures, trying new things. I mean, few people want to come back from a mission trip and report that all they did was sit and drink tea for two weeks and listen to people, right? That's like not a super sexy church report. Um, but maybe that is what we should do. Like, maybe we need to do more of that, right? Because listening to people gives them dignity and respect. Listening to people helps us understand what the real problems are, and it also gives us new ideas for how to maybe go about solving those problems. Listening to people helps us build relationship and community, and those things are good in and of themselves, but relationship and community also ensure that the help that we do provide is long-lasting and sustainable. Listening reminds us that we don't have all the answers. And most importantly, I think that listening to people reminds us of their humanity, and it also reminds us of our own humanity. And that, I think, is the biggest part of what loving our neighbors is all about, knowing that our neighbors are humans just like us. Just like us, they've suffered. Just like us, they're imperfect. And just like us, they need love and support. Now, at Global Neighborhood, we're pretty intentional about not referring to the people we work with as refugees. We say that refugee is an immigration status. It's not a person. And we usually say former refugees to like make that distinction, but even that really doesn't go far enough. Really, they're just people. They're our neighbors. They've been through hell, 
and we just want to listen to them for a bit, get to know them, and then respond out of our own brokenness, out of love, to what they have to say to us. So that brings us back to the piano concerto from the beginning. Um, We're going to listen to a little bit longer clip, but this time we're going to watch a video of the same thing that we just listened to. Um, And you'll probably be able to see what's different about this piece as we watch it. So, oh, sorry, super loud. Um, As you probably noticed, the guy was only playing that with one hand, which is pretty epic. Um, The piece actually is called the Piano Concerto for the Left Hand. It was written by the composer Maurice Ravel in 1930. He wrote it at the request of the Austrian pianist Paul Wittgenstein, if my German pronunciation is correct. Wittgenstein was a famous pianist who, growing up, just in his house, had played piano with Richard Strauss and other amazing people. Uh, a year after his professional career as a concert pianist began, Wittgenstein was called up for military service in World War I. And while fighting in the Ukraine, he was shot in the elbow and his right arm was amputated. He was thrown into a POW camp in Siberia. Now, while in the camp, he resolved that he would continue to pursue his passion for music despite his disability. He later corresponded by letter with Ravel, and he commissioned him to write a concerto for the left hand only, which we saw just a little piece of here. He eventually performed this and many other left-handed works professionally 
and he totally changed people's perceptions of what a person could and could not do. Now, the reason I share this is because I think the story provides a really beautiful illustration of the work that we're trying to do at Global Neighborhood. So we work with people who have endured great suffering and trauma. And it would be wrong for us to just gloss over that and pretend like it never happened to them. People suffer. Like, refugees suffer immensely. Wittgenstein, the guy who this song was written for, he lost his arm. Like, those things stay with a person forever. We don't get redos and get to go back and erase stuff from our past. What happens with us stays with us, and it becomes a part of our story. But at the same time, I believe that it doesn't define us. Wittgenstein's injury didn't change the fact that he was a talented, passionate musician. Someone who is forced to flee their home and become a refugee doesn't lose his humanity, his creativity, his sense of humor, his love for his family. Regardless of what happens to us, we are all made in the image of God, and we retain that. Now, our hope at Global Neighborhood is to be like Ravel, this composer. He worked with Wittgenstein. He took into account his talents and his struggles. He didn't write a concerto for two hands. Like, that would have been <laughs> pretty crass, right, and showed ignorance for the real situation. But he also didn't write a concerto for a person with no skill. He didn't write, you know, twinkle, twinkle, little star and send it to this guy. That also would have been just as crass and ignorant to the real situation. But what he did was work with Wittgenstein and provide him with a wonderful opportunity to live out his passion, his talent, his humanity in the midst of his story that was marked with tragedy. And that's how we can love our neighbors as ourselves, by seeing them for who they are, which is full of light, dreams, passions, and talent, but also as hurting people. And we are all the same in that sense. We all need someone to listen to us, to hear our whole story, and to recognize the good and the broken in us, and then to join with us to create something beautiful. So the example, one of the examples I have of that at Global Neighborhood is the story of Masuma. If you've come into our thrift store, you've probably met her. So Masuma was originally from Afghanistan, she was what we would consider a child bride. She was forced to marry some guy that she had never met who was 30 years older than her. Um, then, because of the war, they first fled as refugees to Iran, where they had a son together. Then they fled to Turkey as refugees from Iran. And there, her husband was like, well, I'm through with this, abandoned both of them, and then later actually had sent someone to try to murder her, her ex-husband. So, super traumatic story, right? So fast forward a few years, and she comes from Turkey with her son. They come alone as refugees to Spokane. Don't speak a word of English. So this is the point where we met Masuma. She came to us. She wanted a job, but she also wanted to continue going to English school because she, and she heard that we might have an opportunity to do that. That's kind of like what we try to do for people. Um, other people had told her, you know what? Don't even try. Just take what you can get You've never been to school a day in your life, you know. But she knew, she, she had literally never been to school before, but she knew that without education, she couldn't succeed here. So she wanted to do that. So we met her where she was at. We didn't ignore her past or her present situation, like what she had been through. Like those things are real. They affect almost every part of her day. So she's a young, single mom from Afghanistan living in Spokane. You can't just be like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Nothing happened. Um, it's just like Wittgenstein, right? He didn't, like, get his arms sawn off and be like, that's fine, everything's the same. 
But in the same way, we didn't just figure out a way for Masuma to get on welfare and stay there for the rest of her life, right? Like, ah, just give up. Like, you've had a rough life. We saw her passion. We saw her creativity, her love, her power. So we said, hey, let's work together with this. Let's meet her where she's at. And she has taught us just as much as we have taught her, for sure. And now, three years later, she's the department manager at a thrift store. She's overseeing four other employees. And she's finishing up her GED right now because she's planning on going to college, which is amazing, right? It's like watching this piano concerto. Like, before, how many people, when you were listening to that, were like, oh, that's totally a one-handed guy playing that? No, it's just like, <laughs> right? You, you hear it, and it's like, wow, that's an amazing piece of music. Um, and I think that it's really similar. So I believe that when we are loved, when we're listened to and cared for, anybody, we are far more capable than when we are ignored or written off. So when we love God and we believe that we are loved by him and cared for by him, we're then capable of extending that same love and encouragement to other people. Jesus met us where we are at, right? In the midst of our brokenness and suffering. That's kind of like the thing about Christianity, right? Like God came and came to us in the midst of suffering and he suffered and was with us. So we're just really trying to do the same thing with anybody, with our neighbors. Um, So I'll just end with this quote that I found um, from an Australian Aboriginal leader. Um, She said, if you have come to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. Thanks.